evening, Book of Ruth. I want to thank you for your kind expressions for Pastor Appreciation Month. I uh, was encouraged very much by that, and I'm thinking about instituting a Church Appreciation Month, um, for sure. I'm very grateful for you. It's our privilege to be here, for sure. Uh, some of the Sunday school teachers had the little ones in their class, uh, elementary age, right pastor thank you notes, pastor appreciation notes, and one of the little ladies, if I remember correctly in her note, she said that I'm the best pastor she's ever had. And I got to thinking about the chronology of her life, I think I'm the only pastor she's ever had. Uh, so anyway, I want us to consider uh, a theme in the book of Ruth this evening as we move through our study of this book, again, uh, taking in some messages section by section, but this evening more of a theme that we might call the theology of the book of Ruth. And I want you to notice uh, something interesting. Drop down to verse number six of chapter number one, if you would. Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Notice verse number 8. Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house, the Lord. Deal kindly. It's interesting. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which is covenant love. Maybe you've heard that before. Sometimes translated loving kindness in the Old Testament. It talks about God's unconditional commitment uh, to his people uh, when it comes to his covenant love for them. And she uses that uh, in an expression of desire, a wish, a prayer, if you would, for both Orpah and Ruth. Notice verse number 9, The Lord grant that, that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Drop down to verse number 13, the middle of the verse. Naomi, in bemoaning her condition and her bitterness, said, For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of who? The Lord is gone out against me. Notice if you would verse number 17 in the middle of Ruth's great confession or commitment to Naomi. Where thou diest will I die and there will I be buried the Lord. Do so to me and more also if aught but death part thee and me. Uh, notice if you would uh, verse number 20. And she said unto them, this is once she and Ruth have come back to the city and the people of Bethlehem Judah greet them. And to recognize Naomi, and she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and who? The Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing... Somebody's phone going off. That sounds like a... Is that an amber alert? Okay, all right. I wanted to make sure we weren't having a tornado bear down on us. Okay, verse 21, I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi, me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Look at verse number four, and behold Boaz of chapter two, and Bo behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. Go over to verse number 12 of chapter 2 in his interactions with Ruth. Boaz says to Ruth, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, 
And I love this, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Every verse we've just read has been a testimony of the providential presence of the Lord in this story. And by the way, we're, at that point, we're only about halfway through the book and uh, only about halfway through the mentions of the presence of the Lord at work. I want to preach a message this evening, we could say, on the theology of the book of Ruth that I've entitled, The Hidden Hand. The Hidden Hand, or the Hand of God's Providence. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your hand at work, I ask you, O oh Father, that you would strengthen our hearts tonight. I thank you for the assurance that you are always at work in our lives. And I pray that we would learn better to rest in that. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I use the word hidden hand, I use it in contrast to what we might call the seen hand of the Lord. You say, Pastor, why is that significant? Uh, it struck me as I've continued to study the book of Ruth that there are no miracles recorded in the book of Ruth. Miracles like in Moses and the parting of the Red Sea and the uh, fiery cloud by day or by night and the cloudy pillar by day and a uh, rock being struck and spoken to and water gushing out. You don't see as it did with Joshua, the sun standing still in the valley of Ajalon and great stones being cast down from heaven. Okay, there's no fire called down from heaven in the book of Ruth. So there are no miracles seen in the sense of what we might call the exposed mighty hand or arm of God. In fact, it's just God's people living their daily lives in faithfulness to Him. It's also interesting as we think about the hidden hand of the Lord that of those who are mentioned as followers of God in this story, there are no demands made on the Lord. Like a Samson desiring or demanding strength so he can be avenged of his eyes. No Gideon demanding that a fleece of wool uh, be saturated with dew one day and then dry the next day. No Jephthah vowing to God that if you'll give me victory over my enemies, the first thing that I see when I come home, I'll sac sacrifice to you. It's also interesting as we look at the book of Ruth that there are no extended prayers, if you would, for the res resolution of a personal crisis in fact, what you see in the book of Ruth are just simple expressed desires from one person to the Lord for his blessing on another. It's fascinating to me, too, that the two books in the Bible that are named for women, both of them, in a sense, are great illustrations of the hidden hand or the providential hand of God working behind the scenes. The providence of God. And we could say this, that often it takes more faith to see the hand of God, the hidden hand of God, than it does the exposed and the mighty hand of God parting the Red Sea, if you would, or casting down great stones from heaven. But I want you to understand something, that the providential hidden working of God in everyday life is just as real and just as meaningful. The word providential or providence means to see before and to make provision for. So when we speak of the providence of God, we speak of His knowing what we have need of before and then arranging and making sure that everything that is needed is in place. Often, as you well know, we don't realize until hindsight that the hidden hand has been at work. 
We look at the historical record and by faith we know as we look at God's working providentially in the lives of people in the scriptures, we know that God works this way. And in our own experience, we can look back, hindsight, and see God working this way. What a blessing it is, the historical record, to realize that just as a little baby put in an ark of bulrushes to float down the Nile, just as he arrives at the point where Pharaoh's daughter bathes, she is there. That's providence. Esther's ascent to the throne is a testimony of the hidden hand of God. You think about the fact that no mention of the Lord is recorded in the book of Esther. And yet as you look at the chronology of the nation of Israel, let me just say this, that the biggest events taking place were not necessarily in the court of the Pharaoh or the the king of Persia, Hashwaris, and Esther. The biggest events taking place while Esther was living was back in Jerusalem where a temple was being rebuilt. And if that decree of Haman had gotten out, it would have jeopardized the people who had gone with Ezra or who had gone with Zerubbabel and Jeshua back to rebuild the temple. And yet it's a tremendous testimony of the providence of God. It's the providence of God that had the servant of Abraham, a man by the name of Eliezer, at the well just as Rebekah showed up so that a bride could be provided for Isaac. It's the providence of God that just as Abraham's hand had been stayed from plunging his knife into Isaac, he needed a sacrifice, a substitute sacrifice, that just as Abraham needed that substitute, a ram was coming up the other side of the mountain to be caught in the thicket. And so I want us to see tonight, and we see this illustrated in the book of Ruth, that our God is always at work for His glory and our good. He's always at work. And I'm going to take each section of that statement, that proposition. Our God is always at work for His glory and our good. First of all, our God. As you look at the book of Ruth, and I'm just going to do a general overview here, we'll see each of these instances as we move uh, verse by verse, passage by passage through the book of Ruth. But as we look at our God in the book of Ruth, 18 times he is called by his personal name. You see it as Lord, all caps. Jehovah. His personal name like my name is Nathan and yours Marco. It speaks of one who is the eternally self-existent one. No one brought him into being. He is all by himself. The Lord, 18 times. And so as we think about our God, who is always at work for His glory and our good, we learn that He is a personal God. In chapter number 1, Naomi hears that He had visited His people. It's the indication of being present in their lives and in the place of their need. He is the God who is there. Ruth, or Naomi would testify of the hand of the Lord being at work in her life, even in chastisement. He is there. He's the personal God who is there. He's present. Boaz would say, as the Lord liveth, he was going to take care of seeing uh, the need for redemption followed through. Our God is the God of covenant love. We see Naomi wish for Orpah and Ruth that the Lord would deal kindly with them. 
Uh, it's the idea of the word deal is the Hebrew word that means to make happen. Aren't you glad you serve a God that can make mercy happen? Okay. He delights in mercy, Micah would say, about 500 years later. But he's the God of covenant love that when he makes a promise, he keeps it, regardless of the fact if the other parties involved don't keep their end. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promises? He's the God who will deal kindly, get this, even with a cursed Moabite woman. We see him also as a God of power. Twice Naomi would refer to him as the Almighty. It's the name El Shaddai, the God of the mountain, the God of of unstoppable power, the God of complete provision and sufficiency. And so we learn that he's a God of power. He is a God of justice as well. Naomi several times talks about how the Lord is at work in her life. The hand of the Lord, verse number 13, has gone out against me. And uh, she talks also about the Almighty dealing very bitterly with her. The Lord hath brought her home again empty. The Lord hath testified against her like a prosecuting attorney. And so we see, too, that God is a God of justice. Now, let me just assure us tonight that Naomi's view of the justice of God in chapter number 1 is skewed. Because she is viewing his justice outside of her own human responsibility. She is viewing God as vindictive. And through the lens of her being imbalanced and cynical, she is not giving a full picture of the justice of God. But still it is there. I love the fact that Ruth says to Naomi in her great commitment to return with her to the land of Israel, Thy God shall be my God. It's a very exclusive statement. And it's interesting in light of the fact that Naomi had just a short time before told Orpah or told Ruth that, look, Orpah has gone back to her people and to her what? God's. And yet Naomi makes a very, or Ruth, pardon me, makes a very exclusive statement about God. And so we learn this about our God. He is exclusive. Let me say it this way. He is sufficient. He is the only God we need. As we look at the big picture of the theology of the book of Ruth, our God there, we see also that He is good. He's the source of all blessing. Whether it's the bounty that He would provide for Naomi and Ruth through a mighty man of wealth, a kinsman redeemer like Boaz, or whether it is the blessing of God in giving Ruth and Boaz a baby. God is good. We find him dealing kindly. We find him granting. We find him giving. We find him not leaving off his kindness. We find him recompensing to Ruth. A work for her work. It's, it's the idea of completing. The word recompense means that she has trusted in the Lord and the Lord has completed her trust. He's honored her trust. Our God is the one who says, listen, you trust me and I will complete what you have expected from me. I will bring it to fruition. You will not be disappointed. Amen. What does the scripture say? All that believe will not be ashamed. Or disappointed. And our God is the source of all blessing and good. He's a good God. And what a perfect balance to his sovereignty. We find too that our God, as he is pictured in the book of Ruth, 
He is a patient and a long-suffering God. Over 10 years working in Naomi's life, and then his being the one to bring her back and to draw her back. Do you know, I thought about this. He could have stopped the word that he had restored bread to Israel from getting to Naomi and Moab. He could have said, you know what? You didn't trust me enough to stay like Boaz and many others did. I'm just going to keep you from the news. But aren't you glad our God is not like that? Aren't you glad that our God is patient? A God who is long-suffering. The New Testament word, macromuthumia, long-fused. In other words, the fuse of God burns and burns and burns and burns. Now, don't sin away your day of grace, I'll say. As we look at the big picture of our God in the book of Ruth, we find that He is faithful, He is reliable, He is trustworthy. Notice, if you would, chapter number 2 and verse number 12 again. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. Under whose wings, what a picture. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. There are several different words that are translated, Hebrew words that are translated trust in the Old Testament. The particular word that the Spirit of God uses here through the human penman means to flee to a place for refuge. Under whose wings thou hast fled, hast fled for refuge. We have a God who is completely reliable and trustworthy. And aren't you glad too that we have a God who rewards? A God who rewards. So our God is always at work for His glory and our good. So our God, his pers- He's personal, He's present. He demonstrates this covenant love. He is all-powerful. He's a God of justice. He's sufficient. He's good. He's long-suffering. He's faithful and trustworthy, and He rewards. But our God is always at work. From the very beginning of the book of Ruth, you reminded that the historical context is the day when who ruled? In Israel, the judges. That time of great darkness in the history of Israel between Joshua and the elders that outlived Joshua, the people of Israel did right between Joshua and that period of time to the monarchy. But in that intervening time, that 300 plus years of the period of time that we call the judges, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But aren't you glad that even in a day when the judges ruled that our God was still at work? In a day when even those who were God-fearers would forsake the house of bread and praise to go to the land of Moab, aren't you glad God's still at work? Aren't you glad He's the God that pursues Naomi's to Moab and calls them home? But our God is always at work As you look at the city of Bethlehem, Judah, and its place in history at this time, it was, as you look at the book of Judges, in particular chapter 17 and 19, you'll find that it was one of the worst places in Israel. Judges records in Judges 17 and 19 that Bethlehem, Judah was not the place where you'd want to stay overnight. And by the way, Micah wouldn't be around for another 500 years to give the prophecy that that's where the Messiah would be born. Boaz had to give Ruth a promise of safety. He instructed the young men, don't touch Ruth. What is the indication of that? That many times those women in the fields could be in danger from the molestation of evil men. 
Boaz makes it clear through that warning. And then the context of Bethlehem Judah in that day make it clear. I wrote this in my notes that Bethlehem of the 12th century B.C. was maybe something like Nazareth of the 1st century A.D. Can any good thing come out of there? And yet, it was there that God maintained a Boaz. It was there that God would bring a Naomi home and a Ruth back and unite Boaz and Ruth. And continue, not begin, but continue one of his greatest works. God is at work always, even in the times of the judges, even in the worst of places in the nation of Israel or the United States. And God is at work in single families too. Just a single family. Didn't need a big group of people. He didn't need a tribe. He just took a single man and a single woman and brought them together. Our God is always at work. Even when there's no parting of the Red Sea. Now, what is interesting is that as you look at the context and the chronology, Boaz and Ruth and Naomi living in the times of the judges would have lived uh, in the proximity of time of other supernatural events that did take place. The lives of Gideon, the work of Joshua and uh, some of the others in the valley standing or the sun standing still in the valley of Ajalon, uh, the testimony within 400 years of many of the miracles that Moses was used of God to perform. And yet in the story of Ruth, there's no record of miracles, but God was still at work. How was he at work? Well, as you look at the story, you find that he is still at work even in family tragedies. Even when Elimelech and Malon and Kilion die, presumably because of the chastening hand of God, God is still at work. God is still at work even when we experience the collateral effects of the decisions of other people. God is still at work. As we think about the fact that there was a famine... And then that famine was stopped. We can see that God was at work providentially in weather and in nature. Aren't you glad that weather events don't catch God by surprise? Storms and hurricanes, God can work even in those. We could recount and multiply the testimonies of how God's worked in situations like that. God is always at work. Our God is always at work in the circumstances. I love chapter number two. The Bible tells us that it was the hap of Ruth to light upon a certain field that was owned by a man named Boaz. I love what a professor of mine from Bible college used to say. Christians have the strangest coincidences. It was her hap to light upon a field a field of grace, a field that would be the turning point of her entire life, a field that would be a a, a piece of real estate. It would be her hap. The word in a secular context carries with it the idea of an accident. But not in the providential working of God. A field that would be the turning point in her life and in Ruth's life. A field that would be the turning point in dissipating the bitterness of Naomi. A field that would be the turning point in bringing together Boaz and Ruth through whom the scarlet 
thread of redemption would continue. A field. So circumstances and places. I thought about this, and we'll look at this in more detail when we go. Boaz gets up that morning after Ruth had came and uh, had proposed to him the threshing floor. He gets up and uh, goes to the city gates. Have you ever thought about the fact that the elders were there? And just as a coincidence, as Boaz is there and calls the elder, that nearer kinsman just happened to come walking by. God works through circumstances. God works through schemes. I've often envisioned Naomi when Ruth came home that first day from the field and said, I was in the field of this man today. And boy, he showed kindness and he he took knowledge of me and he treated me like an Israelite girl, even though he knew I was a Moabite. And he gave me this abundance, this extra amount of grain. And he told me not to be found in another field for the rest of barley harvest and the rest of wheat harvest. And Naomi's like, who is it? Who is it? It's Boaz. And I can just see the visual imaging display in Naomi's mind begin to draw the family lineage. And she said, it is good for thee to abide by his maidens. And Naomi begins to scheme and to plot. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about this in more detail when we get there. But have you ever thought about how awkward it may have been for Ruth when Naomi told her, now here's what you do. You want to talk about faith. The faith that it took. The risk that it took. Ruth could have been accused of propositioning in a sinful and a wicked way. She could have been exposed for that. But God worked even through the, shall I say, scheming of Naomi. We see that our God is always at work Now, I want you to get this. We could make a big deal out of this, and we may more when we get there. God is always at work through the legal structure of the society in which you live. Boaz going to the gate of the city, ten elders of the city being there, and following legal protocol. God is at work. Let me tell you something. God is not hamstrung by a legal structure different than what we enjoy here in the United States of America. Okay. Even as our country tends toward, or shall I say, races in some way towards socialism, I want you to understand that that doesn't make God wring his hands. Okay. God can work through the legal structure of whatever society or culture we find ourselves in. God works through others. We find that, uh, notice if you would, chapter number 2 and verse number 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, blessed be Boaz of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. She's giving testimony in that simple statement of how God works mercifully, graciously, lovingly through human instrumentality. Let me just drop a simple practical exhortation to us. Be God's hand of blessing in somebody else's life. Because that's one of the ways that our God works providentially. And so our God, being who He is, is always, regardless of the difficulties of the time and the place, 
And even the seeming insignificance of a family, God is always at work through tragedies and even the collateral damage of other people's decisions. He can work through nature and weather, circumstances and schemes of other people and the legal structure of any given society or culture. He can work through others all to bring about his plan. For what? For his glory and for our good. How does this book end? This book ends with the people blessing the Lord. Notice if you would, verse number 13. So Boaz took Ruth, chapter 4, verse number 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife and he went in unto her. And who gave her conception? The Lord. By the way, this may well be an answer to why however long she was married to Malon back in Moab that she never had a child. Because it's God that opens and closes the womb. By the way, I still believe with every ounce of my being that it is still God that opens and closes the womb. Okay. And that's one of the, that's one of the foundational arguments for us in our pro-life position. It's God that opens. If God opens the womb, even if the relationship that brought about a child was illicit, God still has a plan for that baby. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord gave her conception. Verse number 13, she bare a son, and the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. Kneel before him because of his goodness is the idea. Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. He didn't drop this kinsman out of the sky in some flash of lightning or puff of smoke. He was a man who had faithfully been there all along. And as God was wooing Naomi home from Moab, even in her bitterness, and Ruth would make the choice to come with her, God was bringing everything together in everyday life in order to accomplish his plan for his glory so that men would praise him. And so that God's good would be accomplished. And what good it is. You realize you and I are still reaping the benefits of this relationship that began in a field. 12, 20, 3,200 years ago. 3,100, something like that. You realize we're still reaping the benefits of that. And we will continue to reap the benefits of that. All the way through the millennial kingdom. And into eternity. I was just thinking very simply, and we could recount instances. I was thinking very simply about how even as it relates to our church, a providential appointment that took place in order for us to have this piece of property in the providence of God. I called Ricky Searcy, a man who's now in heaven, and I said, Ricky, you got to help us. Please pray for us. That was on a Sunday night or Monday. On Tuesday, he was in a regularly scheduled doctor's appointment, a real estate agent that he knew had gotten sick at the Outer Banks and vacation and had come home unexpectedly. It was her hap. She came home unexpectedly, and in the providence of God, Ricky Searcy and that real estate agent met on that Tuesday in that doctor's office, and Ricky mentioned our need. She said, you know, I just had two pieces of property come into my care that I think may either one of them be a possibility by Wednesday, she and I met here for the first time, and the rest is his story. Okay. The providence of God. 
I love the poem that William Cooper, the close friend of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, wrote, William Cooper, you remember, was also the author of There's a Fountain Filled with Blood. One of his lesser-known poems or hymns, but one that we do well to meditate on and digest. The title of it is God Moves in Mysterious Ways. I like what the little boy said years ago when he got the word mysterious mixed up. He said, God sure does move in mischievous ways. Listen to what William Cooper said, a tremendous testament to the providential, the hidden hand of God in everyday life. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful servants, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. And so what is my response to be as I see the providential hand of God at work? And I, by faith, recognize that even if I can't see it, it is at work. My response is to, if I've stepped away or strayed away from the Lord, when we presume that he ceased his work, My responsibility is to return. One of the great themes of chapter number one, Naomi's repentance. My responsibility, when I hear testimony of and see recorded in scripture or experience or see in the lives of others the providential, the hidden hand of God at work, my responsibility is to commit to him like a Ruth did. My responsibility is to obey I wrote it in my notes. Go to it. I love what Naomi says about Boaz. The man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. For Ruth, she got up and in obedience to the provisions of the Old Testament scripture went to gleaning. And so we go to work for the Lord. Our response to the hidden hand of God, the reality of it, should be to trust, to flee to him is a place of refuge under his wings. Our response should be to testify of him and his work, even if it is not the parting of a Red Sea or the splitting of a rock to bring out waters. We know he can do that. But our response should be to testify of his greatness and his goodness. Our response should be to pray for his blessing on the lives of others. And our response should be as the women of Bethlehem to praise God and to worship because our God is always at work for our good and for his glory. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for this simple overview of the providence of God in the book of Ruth. The theology of the book that shows your hand working in everyday life to connect the genealogy and to illustrate your grace and to continue the seed line through which David and then the great son of David, the Lord Jesus, would come. To show the value of godliness even in the worst of times in the nation of Israel. Lord, we thank you that as we look at Ruth, as we look at Esther, as we look at so many other instances recorded in Scripture, and even as we look back on our own brief time on earth, (laughs) we thank you that we can see clear testimonies, evidences of your hidden hand working, often in hindsight, but giving us assurance that you are always at work for your glory and for our good. And so, Father, help us to rest in that, to be calm in our souls. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.